that's kind of a guitar, you know, quotes lead guitar, close quotes disease. You want to get all these notes and you learn how to play. And, and oftentimes, I mean, if you listen to a song on the radio, it doesn't have someone going, wheedly, 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 you know, not a lot of wheedly, wheedlies in it, you know, but <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got to kind of serve like in a music, you got to honor the song. Welcome to the Lone Star Play podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. Great lighting. Love it. Uh, love it's actually lighting. Yeah, it's actually lit with uh, my, my uh, brother. My son-in-law is a videographer, so I've been doing live streams. And so I just, hell, I'll turn him on for the interview. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, they, they but then I look and I go, I don't have a face for TV. <laughs> I, got a, I got a voice for TV. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I try to hide behind the mic as much as I can, wear a hat, you know. Hide. That's good. <laughs> Where do you live? You, you live here in the Texas? And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I live in uh, Austin. I'm, I'm in Austin right now. All right. Right off of Congress. Where right I'm, off of where? South Congress. I'm in the South. Nice. Yeah. The belly of the beast. Belly of the beast. Yeah, I got a nice house. Uh, ba basically, where Ben White and South Congress are, I'm just on the other side of that. So, kind of really old school Austin. Yeah. You know, we were we were actually looking for a place there when we moved here. I thought that would be how it worked because I wanted to be able to bike to town and everything. But we ended up in West Oak Hill and right in the Y, which is suiting us fine actually. Yeah. It's more suburbia yeah. than I imagined, but it's still it's still I'm glad to be here. Yeah, nice, nice, good. And you, and how, so how long have you been living, living here? Well, I've lived here this, I moved here twice. The first time was a while ago. This time it's been about, I think about nine to 10 years already. It's amazing how time wings by. How, so you've seen Austin change considerably because it's changed just in, I've been here since 2014. That's when I moved here. I opened up my food truck when I moved here. And from where? Where'd you move from? I moved from, well, I'm originally from Dallas, uh, oh, cool. so, but, but at the time I moved from Spain. I was living in Spain for a few years, uh, got married uh -huh. over there, you know, met my wife, she's Spanish. And then we, we moved back to Dallas briefly for like six months or so, and then moved to Austin to open up the food truck. So do you still have a food truck? No, I got rid of it 2019. So la actually last South by was my last official event with my company. Um, thank God, to be honest with you. Because, really? No, I was about to say, good going. I, I had no idea either. I mean, it was just, I was, you know, five years, I was tired of it, ready to, sure. to do something else. And um, yeah, a lot, all my friends are or struggling. Well, I, I shouldn't say all of them. A lot of them are, are struggling. Some of them that have... Um, what they call like CPG businesses, which are just like, you know, products and grocery stores, things like that. They're actually yeah. doing very, very well right now. Their, their sales are, are better than they were before the pandemic. But if you have a food truck or a restaurant or, or a bar, for instance, you're, you're screwed right now. And you were yeah. the guys putting in the, as I remember, anybody in the food businesses was doing 80 hour work weeks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's I why I got, were. that's why I had to leave. Uh, yeah. And yeah. when you own it, 
that 80 hours feels oh. like uh, double that even i mean it's uh sure you can't you let know. it go you can't you have you to take it home yeah exactly you got to take it home it's an end all uh you know you're, you're the last stop right the last phone call the last whatever of anything um so yeah it's and, and if you want to make it successful like anything right like music or, or whatever you're doing you got to put the work in and the effort yeah. you're gonna you're gonna sort of get what you put into it in, in a lot of ways uh, but yeah just you know was ready for it to be done but yeah so i'm curious how you've seen austin change because you know austin has that you know when i moved here it was that you know it's a big city with a small town feel Right. right. So, you know, is that still how you see it? Well, really, to me, it is in a way, but it's certainly changing fast. And I've watched it. Given that I first started coming here in the early 70s to, to play, and we cut a live album here with Commander Cody in 1973. And, you know, where you live now, I mean, that was the farmland, practically. I mean, the other, you're, in other words, you're south of Ben White, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like, forget about it. I mean, not forget about it, but it was in the country almost. So there was still a lot of open area. I'm sure there was a lot of houses that date back. And, uh, you know, the whole thing, uh, it, it, it hadn't sprawled so much. So in many ways, the look of Austin, uh, well, of course, that's all changing minute by minute. But uh, and that's understandable, but... Uh, that's changed a lot and I've watched it change just now. Actually, we lived here for a while in Buda about before, before oh, yeah. we moved here to Austin. We were there. Uh, uh, then we moved back to DC where we were living at the time. We were living in Southern Maryland outside of DC. And then I came from the Bay area. So it still looks like compared to the San Francisco Bay area I was in and compared to the, the DC metropolitan area, which we were near, it still looks like a small town to me. Not a small town, but uh, you know, a college town, a high-tech town, all those things, you know. It really is unique in that way, you know, college town, um, political, right? It's the capital, tech town. Right. Capital, of course, yeah. Center of tech. What kind of food did you do in your, sorry to, to backtrack, what kind of food did you make? We, it's called Boca. Um, you might have eaten it, to be honest with you. Uh, Boca, and we did uh, Spanish food mixed with sort of uh my mom's mexican so i'm half mexican oh cool infuse that as well so spanish mexican even with a little texas added to it you know mm -hmm. cool fusion if you will yeah i i've always intended um a, a woman we knew from the music business she was married to a a, a musician we knew opened that a cooking school in oaxaca susan trilling and uh, and uh, I always wanted to go there and, you know, learn Oaxaca, you know, Central Mexican. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. We lived in my wife and I lived in Veracruz actually wow. uh, before we were right. We were in Spain. We were living in Spain and she took a um, a uh, what do they call that? Where you, she was in college. So the where you change schools, the. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. They call it a intercambio in Spain. I can't even say it in English. Exchange program? I can't remember. That's it. The exchange program. So we, we went to Veracruz. She exchanged. Fantastic. Well, there in Veracruz, and we went there for, for six months, and that was her first experience with Mexico. Now, mind you, I grew up in Mexico a lot, actually. I spent a lot of time in Mexico as a kid and summers and vacations with my mom's family. Uh, so it was all you know normal to me, uh, but for her, it was a total big shock, and, and we did love it, living on the beach you know, right there, but we would go to Oaxaca 
We would travel to Oaxaca. Really? No kidding. Yeah. Get Oaxaca. They have the best mezcal and the best cheese in my wow. on the in the planet. On the planet. The best cheese and the wow. uh, mezcal you can get. Just no kidding. I gotta go. We I gotta go. I don't really know Mexico at all. I've been to, you know, the border towns when I was, you know, traveling around, but that's not the same. Where so were you on the east or west coast when you lived there? Yeah. Well, I've lived on both. I, I've also oh. Guadalajara, which is on the west coast, and uh, oh. is on the Gulf Coast on the east there. Right. All right. Cool. So fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about you know playing in Texas. Like, um, sure. What, what are the changes there musically? Playing back when you did in the seventies and recording at at uh you know what was like the studio y'all recorded at is that we actually did not use the studio in austin the one time i recorded here we did a record called live from deep in the heart of texas at the armadillo world headquarters and we did a uh, and it was just we were adopted by this town pretty much and when we would roll into town and you can imagine we were young and it was a party and uh and we spent a week there that time and uh I remember the the, th- the the kinds of food that I wasn't used to eating. That, well, first off, we would buy a bushel of oysters for, what, 20 bucks? I don't know. And have a barbecue, you know, and barbecue oysters. And wow. plus, uh, there were... Uh, there were all kinds of different restaurants we liked. I forget what they were all called. Maybe say Salsa was one. I don't know if that's still around. Oh, there were all these Mexican. We were mostly South Austin because the Armadillo was right there on Barton Springs. And... Uh, uh, we would tend to, although we would stay in, in town there across the river sometimes, but it was wonderful. And at that point in time, it was sort of a rare alliance at the Armadillo between uh, a counterculture, hippie, student, uh, and and, uh, and a real traditional Texas, you know, from you know, redneck to football players, UT football players and stuff. And it all was able to, to a greater extent than many other arenas. It was able to all come together. And in Taras, it was all about the Armadillo, but it was also UT. Of course, it's a college town. And that may, that gives it a certain cosmopolitan, you know, people are more used to different ideas. So, you know, it was different, but it's, that's still cool. We would go out. I remember we went out to Soap Creek, which was out, uh, BK Road, you know, and it was we were way out in the country, man. You know, there weren't any streetlights or anything, but now it's all just part of the, the you know, it's probably even in the city limits now. Yeah, that's true. Um, it just keeps expanding. Look, like I grew up in DFW, went to school, you know, there, and that has wow. blown up uh, since I was a kid growing up in the 80s. Sure. There. Um, it's just not even the same Metroplex. I mean, no, yeah. It was already big and it's tripled, quadrupled in size. I mean, it's massive. Um, yeah, gosh. Well, that, yeah, that's crazy. Like, I, you know, that's something I find very interesting about Texas, actually, um, because I have, you know, traveled and, and lived different places. Maybe not, oh, yeah. maybe not a bunch of places, but you know, probably more than the than the average person. And yeah. I think that you know, to be honest with you, Texas is a good melting of different people that probably people outside of Texas would never think exists. And Austin's a great example of that, that just so many different, you know, 
different types of people, you know, exist in one place. And you can go to a live music show and and see a bunch of different people together hanging out. Do, do you think that that's the city doing it itself? Or do you think that that's the music bringing actually the people together, you know, for something like that? Well, that's an interesting question. And I would say it's really both. I mean, I think I suspect that this this Texas Hill Country here in the capital has always been the place where you're going to meet outliers. And, uh, and you know, and there was a whole I've, I've heard some about the old speaking of outliers, the whole kind of cedar chopper culture that was outside of town here that, that ended up influencing in, in various interesting ways. I don't, uh, and, and, and plus it's. Cedar Trail. You know, it used to be Mexico, and it isn't, and it, you know, there that. So, but then again, I think, I think the music, I think one, you know, helps the other. And it's really hard for me to say which came first. I think that kind of a culture allowed a, a, a very independent thinking, new thinking music to thrive. Yeah, because it's singer songwriters still are kind of famous for it, and singer songwriters have got to be the ones saying the things that nobody else is saying, thinking ideas outside the box, thinking in poetic terms. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I I, I we I really hadn't spent much time here until we came started coming to Austin, and that we were just embraced as as, as locals practically. We were, you know, that's awesome. We were, it was a big deal for both the armadillo to have us there and for us to be at the armadillo. It's great times. No, that's great. Yeah, I mean, Austin's a very unique city to Texas, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. I, I just think it's different from all the other cities. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't compare it to any of them. I, although, that's what I love about Texas, though, is it has so many different big cities, you know, that you can go to. You can go to Houston. You can go to Austin. Right. W, hit up the West. Go to El Paso, right? Even up north uh, to Lubbock, Amarillo, that area, if you want. I mean, you just get, that's what I love about Texas. It just has so many different parts to it. Did, did you find yourself touring around all the different parts of Texas or did you guys stick in one particular area or? Not so much. We would play, I don't remember playing West Texas that much, nor do I remember getting into the Piney Woods. I remember, I'm sure we did, uh, you know, back in the day I played, I remember playing Lubbock, of course. And, uh, yeah. and matter of fact, now I know. Hang out and, there? And, and we've, I know a bunch of, not so much hanging out, but I know a bunch of musicians from there. They, all the guys, uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, Joe Ely, and Butch Hancock, that crowd, and a bunch more. Uh but we would we would play the corridor between Austin, you know, maybe play Waco and uh, and Austin and Dallas and, and Houston all the time. But not so much. We didn't travel that much. And still to this day, I really don't. I love to get out to Big Bend. I played there some, and uh, but I'm not really. I don't really know the, a lot of the rest of the parts of Texas yet. Yeah, I mean, it's me neither. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't think right. it's just almost impossible. Too big. Yes, <laughs> it's almost impossible. You know, what's funny is in 2010, I, I did this this really cool thing uh, that I got an opportunity to do. It's called uh, El Camino de Santiago. And it's a pilgrimage that you walk uh, on foot about 550 miles uh, oh. across. It's basically across Spain. So I basically walked from from one border to the ocean. That's what that's the, the journey you take. Wow. There's cool. so different journeys you take but there's one main one and you know when I was finished with it I said to myself I know this country better than I know my own state of Texas interesting because wow. I, like every little crevice 
right? For 500, I didn't take any mode of transportation ever. I walked every step for that many miles. Would, I've never done anything like that in the state, you know, even remotely close, um, I even period in this in this country, uh, I've never done anything remotely close. So I just found that very interesting. Um, I would love to do it. it. Actually, gave me idea when I was there. I thought there should be something like that in Texas because it's so big. There could be this great pilgrimage that takes you around, that allows you to journey across the whole state and and sort of you know take it in. Um, it, it could also create revenue because that was a big part of it uh, for for you know people along the route to open up businesses and sell to the people, you know, walking. Wow. Um, so anyway, how long, how long did that take you? It, it took me 29 days uh, specifically. I, I remember every day. So it, it that's 20 miles a day. That's over 20 miles a day. That's good, man. Yeah, rough. That's honking. That was the average. I, I did some that were longer, some shorter. Um, and actually two of those days I didn't even walk. I was wow. uh, dead almost. <laughs> thought i was gonna die uh really the second uh, the third day i remember i thought what did i do what did i get my oh. I'm, I'm not gonna make it uh, that's what i saw patrick you're not gonna make it <laughs> this is not gonna happen but just like life you know i'm sure you know just one step in front of the other and it couldn't be any more true in that particular scenario uh, it taught me a lot actually about perseverance discipline um you know sticking to something and, and getting through with it. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I recommend. I, I constantly tell people about it because I, I recommend it changed my life. I mean, it was such a great experience for me. You know, all the people you meet along the way and uh, from all different countries. And, you know, how often do you get an opportunity to just walk with a random stranger for eight hours and talk to them? You just don't these opportunities. Like I found I was telling people things I never told anybody in my life. Like just. Yeah just releasing all these thoughts and feelings and secrets and just a random stranger felt great just a therapeutic you know and then it'd be like all right see you later i'll never see that person again in my life um and it was great i, I loved every second of that you know you should follow through on that man that's exciting to hear about and isn't what is texas might even be bigger in spain right it is it is i think it's I don't want to uh, say this wrong, but I think it's twice the size of Spain, to be honest with you. Well, and that's about right. It's a thousand. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no. It's, go about a, it's about a thousand miles across. And if you walk coast to coast in 500 miles, that'll give you an idea. Bingo. Okay, bam. Wow. I, I never thought of that in, the, in 10 years that I've been thinking about. <laughs> that's because you lived it. You lived it. You didn't have to think about it. <laughs> That makes absolute uh, sense. You know, it's because the the terrain is somewhat similar, like maybe not the northern part of Spain that I walk, but if you go to the southern part of Spain, it's very much like desert Texas, uh -huh. Texas, which is why they film so many Westerns out there in Spain, you know, and they still have the old Western towns just abandoned in Spain. You'll be driving down a highway and look over and there'll just be some Western town just built out just right there, not being used. Uh, it's so strange to me uh, that they did That's that. Cool. Hey, yeah, I found that so strange. Why, why wouldn't they just film here in Texas? I'll never, I'll never understand that. I'll just never get it. I don't know. Yeah, I was surprised. I remember when those movies came out, I thought, wow, Spain, because I didn't know anything about Spain. I mean, it was bullfights to me. I mean, just whatever, yeah. pop culture. I didn't know anything about Spain. Yeah. 
Yeah, me neither. When I went, I, I didn't know anything either, uh, to be honest with you. So I, I, I didn't know what to expect uh, as well. Yeah, the bullfighting is another thing that's, um, woo, that's crazy to see uh, in person, to be honest with you. I, I was in Barcelona, and we t I did a tour that started and ended in Barcelona. It was mostly up in the north, and uh, it was fun, but it was kind of a – I had anyway. Long story, but it was it was just I didn't really get to do much except I did get to wander around, uh, you know, see the great what is it called the the great uh, Gaudi, um, the museum, ah, you know, the big fancy cathedral and that's so crazy in Barcelona. What's it called? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. You know, I, what I, mean. I did go there um, and I took pictures and everything myself, but I I don't even know. What <laughs> Um, to be honest with you, it was under construction when we were there. I remember. Yep, me too. It was all covered. A lot of it was covered up. It was falling apart. Or something. Upset about that. I remember, like, this is some bullshit. Like, uh, <laughs> same thing when I went to London in November. Big Ben was under construction. Same thing. They had it all covered up. Um, it's like, <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> I want my money back. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the queen? Sorry, I keep kicking the camera. I'm going to have to move it out of my mouth. There we go. <laughs> I, okay. I got a bumper. I keep the camera away so that, that, that I can't do that because uh, that'll easily uh, happen to me. Uh, this particular this particular platform made it so where, to me, my head is smaller in the picture than I would imagine, but it's fine. And uh, anyway, <laughs> but I was I'm trying to keep moving it in and that's no good. <laughs> uh, you know, Bill, I was reading about you have this great title I thought was was really cool that that they named you the titan of the telecaster <laughs> uh, I know I hate to there's so many I'm glad it wasn't more specific because of course as a musician I'm picking all these guys I know that that I think can play rings around me and stuff but luckily luckily music isn't necessarily a, a competitive sport you know so I get my own little thing and if they gave me this titan thing I you know I'm not going to fight it but uh I, would. I mean, mostly in, in some ways, I think, to be honest, I've been at this so long and had so much fun with it. I'm still putting stuff out today. I'm 72. I've been doing this full time for 50 years, you know, more than 50 years. So so I think in some ways you get, God, this guy must be a legend. He's still here. There's no other explanation for it. <laughs> But, you know, you know, I've kind of, and, and, and I, for some reason, I stuck to one kind of model of guitar the whole time. I never felt on the electric guitar the need to, to really, so 99% of my public uh, use of a guitar is going to the telecaster. So. Yeah, why, why was the, what was the choice behind that? You just never, just got used to it or you just never wanted to, to play around well, with it? Well, the reason is uh, I discovered, uh, I want you know I got started in the big folk scare in the '60s, mid '60s, and I, I was a big Dylan fan, you know, and I love the old country blues players, you know. That I got to see a lot of those guys at the Newport Folk Festival in the '60s, and then when I went to Electric, I had a borrowed guitar, and then when I first owned my own first Electric, I hooked up with the guys, and we started this band, Commander Cody, and what we were listening to was a whole lot of roots music, Merle Haggard, Buck Owens, the Bakersfield country sound. And that in particular really got me, plus some of the rockabilly. And so three of my favorite guitar players, I'm looking at them going, wow, that guy's got a Telecaster. Hmm. And I look at another and go, wow, he plays a Tele too. So 
that's really why I did it. I thought, well, yeah, I need a telly. And then I happened to get <laughs> a great guitar by accident. I traded a guitar I'd paid a hundred bucks for to a guy. My last job, I was a motorcycle messenger in San Francisco and we were sitting there waiting for the new blueprints. It was before they had file transfer protocols on, you know, computers weren't uh, at that level of, so, you know, we were sitting on the bench waiting for him. He's got a telly, I've got a Gibson SG and Pete Townsend had just come through San Francisco smashing up an SG, you know, and, and he wanted a SG. I wanted a telly. Boom. We traded. And it turned out to be a great old guitar from the fifties. And, uh, wow. and it just, and I never felt the need to change. And for some reason, I wasn't one of these guys that needed, I had one guitar on stage. I usually didn't even have a backup, you know? Oh, wow. No, if it broke the string, we're going to change it. And plus, the telly's kind of like that's the that's the guitar you see when someone ran on the uh, uh, Rolling Stones stage. You can see Keith Richards whip off his telly and use it like a cricket bat. So it's sort of famous for that. You know, I used to tell people when my telly got real beat up after I've been playing it for about forty years. I'd say, man, the only reason I keep a case. This guitar in a case is just to protect other nice instruments from it. I just don't want it to do <laughs> beaten up on other guitars. <laughs> <laughs> Even the guitar's a little, you know, on edge. I like that. That's right. It's feisty. <laughs> feisty. Well, it gives a feisty sound, right? So yeah. It does, yeah. Is... And it's kind of also, it's one of, of all the guitars, it's in a way the most simple and rudimentary. It's just got, it's a bolt-on neck kind of a, usually a piece of ash and a maple neck mine happens to be all pine the one i've been using and it's got two pickups one toggle switch two knobs end of story and so it's like kind of like the bicycle in a way you know it's just the most efficient transportation between and the other thing about it it was designed in the late 40s early 50s and for a long time Fender's biggest competition was its old stock, was the old stuff. And it's never, really hasn't changed at all. It's still marketed in essentially the very same configuration that it was, uh, you know, over 60, like almost 70 years ago. So that's pretty incredible. That's where it's like, yeah, it's rare for some. Well, it's like, it's not broke, right? Why fix it? Like right. It's, it still works. It's, um, yeah. I, I think that's incredible, um, actually. You know, I do play guitar. I, I mean, I don't play. I shouldn't say I play guitar. I have a guitar. and I. Uh, sure you do, man, if you play it. With it. You know, I, I, I tinker around with it till my wife hits me with a tomato in the face. And then I... <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I've always been uh, never concerned with the guitar that I have or I'm playing. Um, as long as it's got some strings on it and it's semi-in-tune... I'm good to go. Like I've never really, uh, but I also have other musician friends, right? They, they just everything to their pedals, the guitar, the yeah. strings, getting new pickup, right? Getting all these stuff done to it. But at the same time, you know, being a chef, I know that no matter what kind of, you, you could have the best knife in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, it's useless. It's literally, right. in fact, it can do more damage than good if you misuse it, right? So is a guitar maybe the same way? I would say so, and I always tell people, I just had, I did another interview today when it was a 20 questions about, and people sent in, uh, it was a live streams, people sent in uh, questions, and someone asked me, should I get a Tele or a, a Strat, a Telecaster or a Stratocaster? I says, man, just 
at this point in your career, go find out who you love to hear. And I say, and go get that guitar. If you love Stevie Ray and Eric Clapton and, uh, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix, probably you want to get a Strat. If you love, you know, Keith Richards and Roy Nichols and Kate Mouth Brown. But I said, but let me tell you something. You're not going to sound like that guy right away. That's the thing, because it really is like you're saying with a knife, it's in your hands. And uh, so don't be disappointed. Don't give up, you know, but, but that the guitar isn't like just like you were saying, you like whatever's in your hands. And that's really a good thing. And the, the great guitar players that I've known, they'll pick up any guitar and they'll sound just like themselves, you know, yeah. a PV with a, you know, whatever. Just like someone, I, you know, I, I have a couple of good friends that play the piano and they're very good. And anytime we're anywhere that there's a piano, doesn't matter how good a condition the piano, they can jump on and play something great. Right. That like, it's yeah. good. No matter even if the, the piano's completely out of tune and missing right. key, they just find a way to, to make it sound cool somehow. Right. They just it's just if you know what to do, just like a good chef can take any ingredients you give them and make something good with it, right? Maybe not whatever you intended, but I'm going to give you something good out of this, right? Because I know how to work with it. You know, I've, I've made mistakes. Is that is that true too as a guitar player? You think you've got to make mistakes along the way to really find yourself oh, yeah. a guitar player? Because I know it's like that as a chef. It's definitely that you may, you burn a lot of food, you, you know, you, <laughs> screw it up, you screw it up, you oversalt it, whatever it is. You do too much to it, right? Too many things. Um, you know, I'm curious if it's the same way you feel like maybe with music. Well, I, I think several of the things you said there can be the case. I mean, doing too many things to it. Uh, that's kind of guitar, you know, quotes lead, guitar close quotes disease. You want to get all these notes in that you, you learn how to play. And, and oftentimes, I mean, if you listen to a song on the radio, it doesn't have someone going, you know, not a lot of wheedly wheedlies in it. But so, uh, yeah, you got to kind of serve like in a music, you got to honor the song. And, and as a chef, you've got to honor what you're trying to. Funnily enough, me being stuck at home, I'm making very tentative steps into learning how to cook some stuff. And I've never really known before, but it's, it's fascinating to me. And speaking of burned, I just, uh, I mean, just something as simple as granola, man. I just burned the granola. You know? But the second batch, it wasn't burned. It was almost burned. And the pecans kind of burned a little bit. I picked out the bad, you know, but so there you go. I'm going, well, that I have to be on this thing. I can't be looking at the internet, boy. You know. Yeah, some stuff you got to be paying attention to and other stuff you can leave and and come back to that, that you know, cooking right. a matter of seconds can change a dish, certain dishes, certain protein sure. uh, seconds literally will, will change uh, the dish, seafood specifically. Uh, it's very much that way. Um, oh, no kidding. We, uh, my wife does a lot of, does, you know, 98% of the cooking. And we're forever trying to get seared scallops to be just right. Not, you know, <laughs> they're tough scallops. I've, I've ruined a lot of them. <laughs> oh yeah. And they're big and expensive too. <laughs> expensive. Uh, they are expensive and big. Exactly. Um, you know, the key to the scallops is the key to really getting the right sear on anything is not, you, it's finding the right temperature of the pan because you want it hot, but you don't want it too hot. And right. Every stove is different. So whatever setting 
you're you can't just tell someone put it on medium or medium high because that doesn't work every stove is different every pan is different it conducts heat differently are you using um you know a cast iron skillet are you using a cheap walmart whatever who knows what it's made out of or something in between is it nonstick? is it you know aluminum uh, so many factors that go into because then it also determines the type of oil or butter you know fat that you're going to use to help create that caramelization on that sear you know right. oh gosh i could talk about this stuff all day bill i love i love to pick your brain about that stuff man but i'll, I'll have to hire I'll have to get you to interview you for my my podcast listen i my bet wife cooks amazingly i bet everything she makes is great uh we my when we moved to town my daughter was living in a house with not living with but living with uh i've lost his last name but it's michael who had a food truck torchies tacos Torch and michael i can't think of his name his last name but owner of uh i don't know his last name either um i've met him but he took that one all the way you know and uh He's but it was interesting that she got to talk to him about you know discovered he used actual cream in the scrambled eggs you know he had some cooking school some, but uh i love the food culture around here and just at that even at that end of it just there's there's a uh a, a chain restaurant with fast food but for me still i'm, I'm not a traditionalist with tacos so that was great stuff you know and Neither. We live right across the street from Jack Allen's Great. In, uh, in West Oak Hill, which is good, good stuff, you know. I love Jack Allen's, actually. The brunch, uh, Jack, I will rock me some brunch at Jack Allen's. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, you will. I understand. Good. And then I'm trying to get over to some of the East Side Mexican restaurants that have been in there forever, Juan and a Million, a place like that. If I ever want to go Juan. take someone from out of town to have a real Migas breakfast or something. Yep. I um I competed against them in a taco contest one time, a breakfast taco uh, contest one time. They beat me. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. They've been here forever since before you were born, Brett. They were legends. Uh, it was like my first year with the truck, and you know, obviously, you know, just getting the name out there and doing. It was fun and charity and and whatnot. Uh, it was four trucks doing it. It was a lot of fun, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, all the tacos were good. It, it didn't matter. Like everybody's taco was actually really good. Uh, yeah, that's a great place. Um, Eastside has really some amazing stuff, even on that part of Cesar Chavez and moving up around there. Right. Franklin's is over there. You've got yeah. of great chef driven independent restaurants over there that are using, you know, artisanal organic stuff, you know, farm to table all farm frat, like even maybe even their own little gardens uh, as well. I love Austin's food scene, to be honest with you. It's it's one of my favorites I, in anywhere I've ever lived, to be frank, you know, to be frank with you. It, it's, it's just so much diversity here on, on getting, um, you know, a, a different style food, right? If you want Vietnamese or Korean or, oh, I don't yeah. know, Indian or Turkish or, I mean, you could go on. It's like, you name it there's going to be a place for it here. And I love that. I think that's really cool. I'd like to explore if we ever, if the sun ever comes out again in terms of uh, this, you know, virus, you know, we get to come out of, come out of our holes, but I, I'd love to explore the, the, the uh, farm to table stuff and the, uh, and people with their own gardens. And cause we're, you know, we're, 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 I've never eaten so much at home and we, we, 
with grandkids here in town, we tended not to really follow the adventurous food stuff. We'd st- we'd go to Kirby Lane because we knew we could. It was you kids eat free. It was it was good food and it was wholesome and it wasn't full of preservatives. Yeah. So it, we really didn't didn't get around as much as we could have. But uh, man, but now as I mentioned to you on the phone, I'm trying to eat. We're eating it organic whenever possible. And as I said, even though if it's you know, in my age, you might consider going, whatever, but you know, I want to support the industry. So my grandkids will have real food, not some crap, you know, and that's the lucky thing about Austin, I guess, you know? Yes. Well, it's where whole food started, which for better or for worse, you know, I know there's going to be two sides to every story, but it did popularize, I think. uh, Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Great stuff. The farmers, too, you, you can actually, because of the, the pandemic, actually, there's actually a few good things in the food industry that have come out of the pandemic. Now, I know that's weird to say because if, uh-huh. you know, you, you, you look at it as a whole, it's not good. But the only thing that is good is the supply chains have worked out better for farmers. So I've had actually quite a few farmers on the podcast and their sales are literally a thousand to 1200 percent up so they're yeah they're they're doing way beyond better than they've ever done they're adding new revenue streams they're adding you know different food and this and packaging and and directing shipping directly to customers so there's a lot of farms now you can google and austin's the best place for it We're, we're in the best location in texas to get it but really anywhere you live you can start to get this stuff but they're delivering straight to your house for you know you pay 30 dollars for a farm box full of great uh vegetables and you know and it's all random it's not like you get to choose a bunch of stuff but you're getting what's fresh in season you know um, Perfect. and it's great they have meat ones right so you can get a bunch of proteins and you know freeze some of them and and keep them going you know there's there's also a misconception i think too with people of what freezing meat can do as well like conserving meat and moving forward right like that's not such a bad thing depending on where the meat came from i think that's too another thing too is just knowing where your food came from you know when you oh, go yeah. to the grocery store you look at a piece of meat it's in a white package right with with saran wrap on it and it's got a price tag but it doesn't you have no idea where that meat came from and if it's ground meat it's probably a mixture of many animals so it's not like that's one it's not like that came from fred and this one's bob and and this is no it's like fred's and all of these and wow. all of these too, you know, you're getting a mixture of all these different cows that have all been on different diets and all been exposed in different parts of the country even. Um, you know, I, gosh, I don't mean to get too deep into it, but it does matter. It is important and it, it can affect your health in a, a particular way, you know. Um, so I think that's important. And I've seen that change happen. And that's what I'm glad about for the farmers being able to make connections with just regular folk to get food from them. They, they don't have to wor- wonder, you know, oh, I've got to sell it to this grocer. Now they can put it in the store. Nope, I can just sell directly to you. You can come, you know, come get the meat and, and eggs and milk and cheeses. And, you know, it's amazing, honestly. So I'm curious, can I access some of those farmers? Because when we were in Maryland a couple summers, we had a market baskets from farmers local. We were in Southern Maryland, which is outside of DC, but it was still 
when my wife grew up, it was rural tobacco country, you know, and so that was great to have. And whatever came, that's what you got, you know, and it was good. But I would love, and we're vegetarians, or I'm, my wife's a vegetarian. I'm. Oh, nice. I'm pretty much of it. I eat, you know, especially now that I'm eating every meal at home, I'm not eating hardly any meat at all anymore. And, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, she's been that way for quite a few decades, and I've gone off and on with it. But I'd be very interested. Do they have on that real food website? Is there access to those farmers? Oh, a hundred percent. What I'll do is I'll actually um, I'll send you some some links directly to where you can you know have options. You'll have options. I'll send you a few different links, a few different places. You and your wife can check them out. And fantastic. You know, be really it's honestly it's great it's really opened the doors for a lot of these farmers um yeah so that is the one good thing that'll come out of it so yeah how was that living up in maryland did you like living up in in you know different sort of weather and seasons and because uh, i lived in pennsylvania for like four years and i just absolutely hated it um oh you know, i hated the winters and it just was brutal for me well, I'm from Michigan originally, so then I then I went then I did the Go West Young Man, and I moved to California. So I was like, but I've traveled, as I said, for 50 years. I've been on the road, and up until March 12th, you know, this year. So uh, I didn't mind the winter. We it was we were enough out in the country, and it, it it was obvious there we'd have ice storms and branches that fall on the wires, and everything in that house depended on electricity. That's what pumped the fuel oil into the furnace. That's what pumped the water out of the well. We actually had a well. Oh wow! And so if the if the electricity went out, you better have your you know what together, or it was going to be a problem. So that was a but but, but on the other hand, the food there, for instance. Local corn and tomatoes, white corn, you know, and tom tomatoes. Uh, I discovered blue crab, which became my favorite seafood. You know, we would pick crabs, and you could, you know, buy them by the dozens, and 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 uh, have our crab cakes, and just the local produce and the crab. I can't think what else. There's a couple of bizarre things. There was a, there's the way they have this thing called Southern Maryland stuffed ham, and they would stuff it with kale and some other it, it was yeah, it was a really interesting thing a real local little weird way of cooking a ham <laughs> kale and something very strong some anise flavor unless that was just the kale i don't know what the what, what the hell was in there but uh you know they, there was some local regional where in pennsylvania did you live i lived in uh, lancaster oh yeah sure right across the line there yeah yeah lancaster Up in amish country yeah Amish country, yeah, and I lived in Philly for like six months downtown. Uh, but yeah. rest of the, the rest of the time, I was in Lancaster. Um, yeah, Amish country for sure. Um, yeah, I'll talk about different food there. Same thing. I mean, um, farm fresh, you know, corn, same sort of deal. I, I remember this one particular pie they had. It was called shoe fly pie. Yeah, um, it was so good. I used to love that pie so much. It was just <laughs> you know a little chocolate something. It was so good. I used to buy it from the Amish um, all the time. You know, I bought a lot of stuff from them, to be honest with you. They used to, I used to use them to fix stuff for me. Um, I, you know, I used to enjoy those interactions because one, I just didn't grow up with that. So it was very unusual the first time I saw it and the carts and the buggies and, sure. um, you know, they would park at Walmart. I remember they even had uh, horse stalls at Walmart so that the Amish could park. Wow. Stalls. 
and go into Walmart to buy feed. And I just thought, what the Amish are stopping at Walmart? This is the <laughs> this is the weirdest well, uh, thing. You know. <laughs> my wife uh, lived in Ephrata when she was a little girl, which is real near Lancaster. I and I know Ephrata very well. And she has great childhood memories of that farmer's market, which you probably went to too. It's a big outdoor market. Lit it. I don't know if it was in Ephrata or Lancaster or what, but it was something up there. She'll she'll know. I, I, it was Ephrata, Lidditz, and uh, there's another little town. It was um, uh, Mannheim, maybe, or maybe that's even a little further. Yeah. Right next to it. But Ephrata and Lidditz, I, I might have even lived in Ephrata for a little bit. I might have had uh -huh. for a little bit. I can't remember, to be honest with you. Um, but Lancaster, I was like downtown. I, you know, I think I did uh, live in Ephrata for a little. They're all right next to each other. It's it's right. All, you know, five seconds from each other. It's all like the same little, little town. Yeah. All a, all a, bug, a buggy ride apart. Yeah, buggy. <laughs> a buggy ride apart. That's exactly right. So what about music, Bill? What kind of, um, what, what sort of like new music have you been, anything new you've been working on? Have you been writing songs? Have you been trying to keep busy during the, during the pandemic, that sort of thing? Or. Yeah, I have, I have, I've done a little bit of writing and uh, right now we've been focused on, the fact that uh, my new CD dropped, or it was a, it's a compilation of previous of older things, but that dropped on Friday. And just right. a couple hours ago, a, a video that we made under quarantine, my son-in-law and I just came out of Hammer of the Honky Tonk Gods, and that just dropped today. So uh, I've been busy with that, and I've also been live streaming, which I've really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, uh, it, that's been a new adventure looking as as you have to do you know looking at a computer with live stream i don't even see anybody i just see the lens I, I do it with a forward facing camera so i just have to get in the mindset that there's people and we did one uh yesterday for a i was scheduled to play this club in buffalo on my cd release tour yesterday and so we decided to do a live stream and we had people there from peru japan australia wow. uh in, in all the british isles uh and all of about 20 different states and stuff. So that's great. That's a new experience. And, and, and it's been very rewarding to, uh, to, uh, to ha have a new way to, to have an outlet for music. Totally. Do, you, do you think you'll continue to do the live streams even after things open up and you're able to, you know, get back out, play live? Do you think that's something you'll still kind of fold in? You know, I would think it will. I would think all these things will live on. I'm going, I'm also involved in another organization that we have Zoom meetings now because we can't have live ones. And I think those are going to live on because uh, there's advantages to it. You know, you, you don't have to go anywhere. You can see everybody's face when they're talking. You can see as opposed to sitting in a room, you know, with uh, one person. So I think that I think all as like anything else, I think we're going to be surprised what lives on through this. And, and even though, you know, my job came to a screeching halt, uh, we're doing okay. And, and I really, and just like I'm eating at home every day and, and it's hard to eat good food on the road when you're, you're not traveling for food. And uh, I try to, I try to eat well and I try to find the local, whatever the weird local thing is. I want to know, I want to eat it. <laughs> so, <laughs> So it, it, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of pluses too, although it's a it's a horrific situation. I don't want to downplay it. No, of course, you know, of it, course, it's, it's horrific and people are suffering mightily. But man, I'm 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 dug in. I'm not going anywhere. You know, we don't we don't go to stores. We we do the uh, 
thank goodness for HEB and uh, the delivery. Uh, yeah, delivery or trunks pickup. You know, you don't you don't even roll your window down at that point. Oh yeah, yep, yep, absolutely, yep, a hundred percent. They have a good history of disaster relief too. I'm sorry when I talk, you turn off, so I'm sometimes walking over you and I don't hear what you're saying, Patrick. But hey, what the heck? Oh no worries. Uh, that yeah, these sure. that's these that's happens on these things. Don't yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're right about heb though um phenomenal company to be honest with you i yeah. love heb i do too i really do too i gotta say they're I, you know so yeah i've been keeping busy and i've been uh and it see i thought i've been busier than i imagined i would be just being home there's all these things that i postponed doing when i wasn't home and they're <laughs> coming up you know just stuff you know hard to even put my finger on it and i keep thinking i want to either get a regimen of practice or learning something else or writing more songs so far i gotta admit i'm just trying to adapt to the new way of life well that's okay too um yeah you can't force the songs right or do you this is a good question for you bill i'm I'm curious with songwriters do you sit down and say, I'm writing a song right now? Like it's, it's eight, you know, like, like going to work sort of thing. Like, okay, it's eight o'clock. I got to sit down. I got to, I'm going to sit here for eight hours and I'm going to write something out. Or do you just go through, you know, life and let the songs come to you and write them as they come to you? That's a good question. Well, I, uh, I am not one of these guys who has all this angst, anguish and angst that I need to reach out and make you listen to you know i'm not that guy i you know i i like writing songs but left to my own devices if i didn't have to i might not write near as many so so for me it's some it's a little bit of both usually when i have a project now for instance this one is going to have its lifespan and then the next one's got to be all original material so i'm aware of that so that that knowledge will start getting stronger and then i'll start having to collect little ideas as i go but then i've just got to make myself sit down and do the work. That's what every writer says. This is, how do you write these things? He says, well, you got to write. You can't, there's, there's no little, you can't buy a computer for it. Well, you can, but it's going to suck. You know? Absolutely. You got to just sit down and do it. There's no. You got to do it. Yeah. Like anything else. That's... So you still, so that's been, uh, that's been a lot of, you know, interesting to me. I just wrote some with a great songwriter named Al Anderson who's in New Mexico. I just managed to make it to his house and back before this all hit. I mean, I was really, I think, I think a a week after I got home and the whole thing, I I realized I couldn't go anywhere, you know? Yeah. So, uh, did you have stuff at South by that got canceled too? Yeah. Uh huh. I didn't know actually, no, I didn't this time. I did that so many times. I didn't want to have a, a formal presence there. And there's always been like South by South Austin kind of stuff that goes on. But uh, I hadn't, I hadn't. Uh, the other thing about it is it's, I don't want to be a cane waver here, but it's a, a little bit different than what it was when I first started going, of course, like anything else. And it's changed. It's become more corporatized and uh, oh, yeah. not to knock it. It's still great. And it still was a blow to the city when it was canceled, but I didn't feel uh, it, it, it became more of a, well, whatever, but you know, and as a, I, I'm a niche market guy and I'm 72, you know, I'm not out there elbowing it out with the, 
with the with you know twenty somethings trying to have a spot on the charts. It's like, right. you know, thank God they can go. You go. I've been there, done that. Right. Go get them. Wolf, wolf. You know. I'll I'll wait here. I'll be right here. I'll be right here when you get back. <laughs> I'll go for help if I have. To. <laughs> I'll go for help. Oh, that's funny. Oh, well, that's great. Um, you know, that's great that you've been able to ride and, and get some stuff done and, you know, that the it hasn't been too, you know, big of a gut punch. Um, I mean, I guess it's different for everybody, right? I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of musician friends that are affected more more so, some more than others. Um, you know, if they had stuff planned, you know, it, it is. It's just sad. I think about all the venues, you know, oh, boy. to stay open for you guys to come back and play you know well it'll never be the same and and you know in that way i'm glad that i'm sort of it i for 10 years at least i've been saying man i gotta stop touring so hard you know I'm, but it's part of that self-employed uh sort of you you go i gotta do it i gotta do it i gotta get the next, i gotta do the next thing and uh luckily you know we're i'm not in a position to completely retire but uh but i you know we're not we're not living hand to mouth and at some point, I was going to make it all just the wind blew the candle out. I forget what it was. But uh, it's all gone. Never mind. I can't remember what I was going to say. I had some, some, I was all wound up to make this big point. That's my whatever. That's my life right there, Bill. That's <laughs> me. All dressed up, no place to go. That's it. That's it right there. Well, that's good. Um, you know, well, I'm glad you've been doing well and I'm glad, you know, oh, I know what I wanted to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> the one surprising thing to me, I thought to myself, you know, I'm used to as a live performer in my job. And I've always thought about you guys. You don't get this immediate feedback, but me every three minutes, I expect people to make a big fuss and go, yeah, you're cool. I like you. You know, you know, it's kind of the way it works. And I'm thinking, What's going to happen to me? Am I just a pathetic, strung out uh, <laughs> a, approval junkie, you know, that's going to. And, and actually, I have found, thank God, I can live without that. You know? Great. Yeah. And you're right. Some people are fiending for it. But I understand why. Right. That energy has got to be unlike yeah. else. And I miss it. I miss the energy of live performance with live reaction. Absolutely do. But, but uh, you know, you just take it and, and sort of it's been tempered by the fact that this being home and enjoying this nice house. And of course, it's, I'm not enjoying the nice town anymore, but that I, we hope that'll change. Absolutely. You know, that's something I was telling my wife is like, look, we could spend so much time together and, um, we've actually been saving money in a weird way because we're actually not spending a lot of money by going out and doing other things we would normally do. Exactly. Uh, you know, so at the same time telling her, so I'm like, we actually have some disposable income. We have all this free time and we can't go do shit. I, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we can't do anything. That's what I, <laughs> we had trip. We, I had a great summer schedule. I had a festival in the, uh, uh, in the mountains of uh, on the uh, eastern part of, uh, of British Columbia in the mountains up there in the foothills of the mountains. Yeah. I was going to play at Busher Gardens in Vancouver Island. I had a bunch of uh, 
gigs in our beloved Northern California where I met my wife, you know, back in 1970 and we lived for years. And so that's what I miss. But I miss more the, the gig itself. But I miss that was the, our, our great love was traveling together like that. So, uh, you know, that's, everybody's in the same boat. It's going to come back, though, Bill. I, I, I think it is I, just going to take some time. Yep. You know, that's it. But it'll definitely come back. Well, Bill, um, I, I would definitely like for you to tell us a couple things. One, how yes. can we, you know, follow you on social media, you know, website, that sort of thing. And any other new projects or anything else that you want to talk about? I know you said your, your other thing um, just dropped on Friday. Um, and you have this new thing coming out, but anything else that you're working on or you want to discuss or, or anything else? So, Well, thank you very much for that opportunity. And right now I got no new projects other than that. That's, that's filling my screen here. Those projects, the video we just finished, it just dropped. And, and you can find me under my name, Bill Kirchin and both BillKirchin.com is my website. And that's where uh, we sell the, the, you know, or all the music's for sale. And, and my social media is Bill Kirchin Music on Facebook, or just look at Bill Kirchin, you'll find it. And uh, I live stream there a fair amount these days, so you can, you can see that. And then I got other things coming up, but I don't know exactly sure when this will be shown, so I'll just leave it at that. And uh, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, too, although I have to admit I'm, I'm really not the guy – I've still got the geese are like what what do what, what? but you know but the people the people involved with me are getting that stuff out so that's good yeah 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 so that's the main outlets for me right now is to uh social media and uh live streams and write some more songs that's all that's it that's what people want yeah. they, they want you to write these amazing songs and keep putting out tunes and and that's it. That's great. Uh, nobody expects anything from me. So, I mean, I, I think you're doing great. Um, you know, people want stuff from you. Nobody wants anything from me. Yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> Even my wife, I'm like, I got nothing. I got <laughs> Well, I'm trying to learn uh, to cook, of course. And one thing I got started doing, which I should have waited until I was better at other stuff, is I try to cook some Indian food. And, uh, man, I'm a... Uh, uh, yeah. You're just like, I'm going in. I'm I am going in. I love this stuff. And so, uh, so and I, as a birthday present last, the end of June, the, some friends gave me this little kid of, you know, that gal, J Ma Ma J Japal, or what her name is, a famous Indian cookbook writer and actually actress too for years now. But uh, uh, a, a book about that. And I saw some movies that were revolving around Indian food that fired me up. So I'm I'm trying to do that. Got some of the the spices. And I got an instant pot, so that's my pressure. I love that thing. That thing is the greatest. It's probably the greatest things ever made. Uh, to be honest with you, yes. Um, I I te I actually don't use one, um, but I think it's a great tool for people to have in their kitchen. Yeah, you you I would think you've sort of beyond that in a way. You know when you. Yeah, I mean, I, for you, you for me, it's a pressure cooker too. But you probably have a good pressure yeah. cooker. I, well, I like cooking, so I don't need to just throw stuff in a pot and turn it on. Right. And come back to it. I, I I like putting the flavors together and building them and layering them as I do my own Instapot. Really, you know, um, th that's all it is. You know, but sure. 
you know, just because I like taking the time. But if I didn't have time, I probably might use something like that. Who, who knows? Yeah. No, I'm weird that way. I'm I'm really weird when it comes to cooking. I like just a simple pan. I got a knife, a cutting board. I don't need much else. I, you know, I learned a long time ago, just probably like you did as a musician, all the little knickknacks that come about things and cooking, right? These, they're all useless. Right. Just need a knife. That's it. <laughs> I can do everything with one knife. I can do anything with one knife. So, uh, what size knife? What's your one knife? How long is it? A 10 inch? I have a 10 inch, correct. I have a 10 inch chef knife, but I also have a 14 inch. Uh, chef and I like to use as well that I go back and forth with. Uh, but really that, that, that 10 inch chef knife, even an eight inch, you can get by with that to literally do. I could honestly get by with just a paring knife on just about everything. That's cool. Vegetables, everything. I mean, there's really nothing you need a big knife. It's really for show. A lot of that stuff's for show to be frank with you. It's, it's just for show. It's, um, you know, that's all it is. Uh, so yeah, you know, when they, yeah. I don't know, a garlic peeler or this or that, if, if you have something in your kitchen that serves one purpose, get rid of it. That's it's, right. It should serve a lot of purposes. It should do multiple things. Um, otherwise it's, you know, unless you just like getting that, my mom has all that stuff at her house. She's got a million different things for all kinds of stuff, you know, that she never uses. Uh, but she just likes collecting it and, and keeping it just in case, uh, <laughs> which is fine, you know? So, but anyway, um, well, uh, Bill, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Bill. I can't tell you, um, how great this conversation has been. I've, I've really learned a lot, um, to be honest with you. And I appreciate you just being so open and honest, uh, with us about everything. Oh, well, thank you. And I, I look forward to getting your, uh, cheat sheet on some of the, the, uh, axes. I look forward to going to that real, food website as well to see what's going on here and so i'm going to send you some direct links to where you know you guys can pick the pick the food there you, you know you pick the the farm box you want and it'll it's amazing it really is amazing stuff uh, going on right now with that stuff so yeah i'm gonna absolutely send you that and yes use our website for that too um you just put in your your zip code and it will bring up everything around you um, that serves artisanal, organic, fresh, you know, farm to market. So it's not bring up any restaurant or food place that's not using good stuff. Um, it's, it's actually a really cool tool. There's nothing else like it. Um, so it's, it's really great for that, you know. All right, Bill. Well, thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, go to thelonestarplay.com. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time. Hey.